when I was told that in that vision, like, you have to go back or you're going to keep getting sick. I'm like, what does that mean? You know, so I woke up one day, I'm like, okay, well, I guess I better go back then. <laughs> <laughs> Tansai, hello, and welcome to the Matriarch Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Olette Stonechild, and I'm super excited to have Santi Sue here with me today. She is from Dakota Teepee First Nation, and she does many things. She's a very talented jingle dress dancer. She's also an advocate for Indigenous rights and uses her platform to raise awareness about reconciliation, but also about the truth of who she is and where she comes from. And she's also, you're also a team with your daughter daughter Alana right and she's a fancy dancer correct yes yeah so you may follow her on social media if you don't already I suggest you do so thank you so much Santi for showing up here if there's anything that I forgot in the introduction now's your chance Peter Mayaye, I'm just so happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Shaila, on your show. Just being a part of it, it's just an amazing movement that you're working towards. And um, what I said in my language is that my heart is really happy to be here. And hello, everyone. And I'm I honored my um, my mother. She's from Okwamakong, and also I honored my father. He's from Dakota Tipi. And I said that I currently live in my home away from home right now here in Toronto. <laughs> How long have you been in Toronto? Uh, right now, like seven years. Seven years. Okay, so where did you grow up? I grew up on the res. You so the res. my childhood is uh, was very different than the regular uh, Canadian, uh, non-Indigenous Canadian childhood. Because for me, when we grew up in Dakota Teepee, I didn't know that we were considered refugees of Canada for the Dakotas due to the Dakota War. And so that's where my ancestors come from. And... When I didn't even know my father and mother, there were Indian residential school survivors. And so my father, when we were born, what I felt like was a cultural resurgence was his passion for us. What I mean by that is that my childhood school was a house. It was a house on a tiny little reserve. Our reserve was so small, surrounded by farmland. And I didn't understand why we had to go to school in a little yellow house, which is still there today, by the way. (laughs) And why did the kids in town get to go to nice buildings? They had big gymnasiums. We were in a house and some trailers when we were over capacity within. We had to get trailers. And I just didn't understand that as a young child. Another part of my childhood was growing up is that there was a mushroom plant right across from our school and it would get so bad that we would have to cancel school and a mushroom plant what that is is if you're aware of that they use manure to grow mushrooms and the pollution from that manure would get so bad it smelled like manure like really really bad manure and it gave a lot of the kids in Dakota TB asthma and so we would have protests as children for the environment that you know this is not good for our community and the people were getting sick little too did I know that Canada has so much Indigenous uh, heroes that did things like this. Little to my knowledge, my father built that school quickly and brought a house in quickly to keep us from Indian residential schools. 
He saved so many children from attending those Indian residential schools that I wasn't even aware of. And so for me, he's a hereditary chief currently to this day, 70 years old, still fighting for his people, still doing this kind of work, still fighting for land claims and getting justice uh, systems in place for our people. And so he's still doing this work. And to me, like there's so many indigenous uh, leaders that are out there that we're unaware of that have stories like this. And I really think that we need to start talking about these stories. Um, you know, there's so many indigenous heroism out there that, um, that deserve this kind of knowledge and recognition that so many of us are like unaware of. And for me to that, like that is what I'm so grateful for. But as a ch for so many child, many indigenous people in their childhoods, they, they don't realize that because we're, it wasn't taught in our education system. Like I didn't even know my mom was a, a day school survivor until like three years ago. And everything made sense to me where her, um, her rage came from, her, her anger, her anxiety and everything like that. Because for her, a lot of our parents don't know how to heal yet from those pains that came from those uh, schools in that era. And so a lot of our parents today, they're still learning how to heal from the pain. And I feel like we are in this generation of taking that pain and asking ourselves, like, what can we do with it, right? What can we do with this pain to make it beautiful? And when we understand our history and our cultural upbringing and what our parents tried to do for us that came from Indian residential school system, I really think that helps us be who we are today and acknowledging that. <laughs> what What is your dad's name? Uh, my dad's name is Dennis. And De your mom's name? Averna. Uh, okay, <laughs> I'm like, I just wanna bring their like, <laughs> their life into this conversation because now I know why you are such a strong advocate. It's really because your parents paved the way. And I think oftentimes for me even, my dad was a really strong advocate for indigenous rights, despite him being in the prison system. He would mm -hmm. often advocate for issues, writing to different magazines and sending it out. And like, mm -hmm. even though he was in a system that really tried to suppress and deny his voice. And I think at the same time, I really hold high respect and a high honor to be given the chance to use my voice in ways that our parents were never allowed or given mm. the opportunity or our grandparents were never allowed. They were really denied that. They were killed for it. Just being here and being with you right now and have actually having a chance to have platforms to mm -hmm. advocate for these things, like that is, that is like the revolution in itself. And so when you are advocating for certain things on your platform, what, what do you feel really strongly about and what do you see hope change within, within Canada and within the system here itself? You know, part of that upbringing and why I bring up my childhood, going to that school across from a mushroom plant, I almost died at 13 because I had almost a severe, severe asthma attack due to the pollution. And from there, when you experience death so closely and then a lot of it has to do with the violence of colonialism little later that school did end up closing down thankfully but it was due to um how do you say the economic downfall of the maneuver and mushroom plants <laughs> but unfortunately that's what it took it didn't take our voices being heard it didn't take us you know protect the kids and mm -hmm. every child matters wasn't a thing back then and so for me how i implement that it just allowed me to be more grateful for life 
and tell my story in my childhood. And that's just one small part of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's so much darkness that our communities have to come through. For me, like dance, I, I, I almost gave up dancing a few times because of the trauma, the um, intergenerational impacts of like uh, alcoholism that our community suffers with and all those darknesses that um, so many of our communities face with the negativity from colonialism, right? And so right now we're in the surge of how do we come up with solutions, which is the most major thing that we need to look at from my perspective is we need to figure out how to help others, other women, other indigenous men and women, how they can come out of that darkness too. And so for me, when I lost my brother due to like alcoholism and drinking and driving, I, um, it was really hard for me to get back into dancing because we came from a, a big powwow family. We were always on the trail. And so losing him, he was a championship grass dancer. And, you know, my brothers, they were championships and we all worked really hard to, you know, work our gifts of dancing. And uh, so losing him at 10 years old was really hard. I didn't know I, I carried that grief for a very long time. And so I had to go back to ceremony to like remove the grief from my body in order for me to continue dancing on. And so when I went to, my daughter was born, I fortunately, like, I, I tried to get back into dancing from 10 years old all the way to 19. It was very difficult because of the grief with the family. Because when you lose a family member that young, it's really hard to, uh, uh, especially when your family doesn't know how to deal with grief. And so many of our communities are like that. We just kind of like go into survivor mode. And then we don't really take the time to understand um, how to heal our bodies, our mind, our spirit and everything, and how that impacts us to be able to even get out there and dance again. And so for me, I had to go on that journey. And as when my daughter was born, I went to go get her name. And when I went to go get her name, we were told that we were given that gift to dancing. And I remember when my brother passed on, the message I received from him was continue to dance on, not only for your family, not only for your people, not only for your nation, but for creator. Because we as indigenous people, we were able, despite all of the legal laws and being criminalized for our culture and our beauty, we kept the beauty of our dances, our song, our culture, our languages. And so from that darkness that I had to go through as a young child, I saw the beauty in it. And I saw the significance of, I have to dance on for creator. And so, as you know, powwows, it can be really competitive and yeah. people get really insecure, <laughs> dancing off beat and not, not stopping on time. And like, oh, I don't know if my regalia looks pretty enough because everyone looks so fancy. And these regalia, they take time, they take money, they take all of, uh, a lot for them, like for uh, a dancer to put into it. And so my message to anyone else who wants to get into dancing, don't worry about that stuff. Don't worry about it. Practice. Remember why you're doing it in your chante, your heart, you know, your heart is that all that darkness we overcame and we still able to dance. And if you feel that gift in your spirit, pursue it, listen to it. You know, you're, you're dancing for creator you're, because whether I like to say it or not, indigenous people is, are, you know, we are creator's favorite. 
<laughs> and so re- remember that we're, we're beautiful. We have um, beautiful songs still, despite all that trauma, despite all that darkness. And that's why I kind of share just a small part of like what our family had to come out of in order for us to be here today. And for me, when I got that message, when my daughter was given her name, that we we're both given that gift through dance, through song, through ceremony. Uh, it just made me forget the past and let it all go. And um, not worry about not being good enough to be out there and, mm. and dancing and just uh, do it for creator because creator allowed us to express our creativity. Creator allowed us to use our voice because, you know, you mentioned your dad there. Our parents, that generation is a, a generation of silence. And I think that's why my dad, I still don't know my dad's story mm. in Indian residential school. And I feel like he didn't want to tell us that because it brought shame to the family. And I feel like he he just threw us in ceremony, threw us in um, dancing as a you know Powell family. And he didn't want us to carry that shame and guilt of the Indian residential school system. And he wanted us to be proud of our songs, our dances and our cultures, right? And I think that's why I don't really know his story to this day mm. or my mother's mm-hmm. because they don't want us to carry that shame. They want us to be proud of who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like that's their story and they're going to share like how they feel called to share and maybe not sharing it is like they, that feels more in alignment with what they need. Mm. But I love that uh, you bring up connection to creator. And I feel like even if you, if you dance or if you don't dance, I feel like for me, myself, I call on creator when I'm writing, when I'm acting, before I'm speaking, it's that connection to source. And I can imagine as you're dancing, it's a way of channeling that connection to the divine, that connection to creator, that connection to Mm -hmm. something bigger than just ourselves. And so for those that are listening that may have never gone to a powwow or may have never tried dancing, um, how would you explain like what the jingle dress dance is and mm. what's the historical context behind that specific dance? Right. You know, so we just don't want to acknowledge that the uh, jingle dress, they say it comes from a few different places, but from my knowledge, it came from the Lax tribes of the Ojibwe near the Great Lakes region. Another, I heard like it also came from the Whitefish Bay uh, area and region. And it came from uh, a grandfather's vision when his granddaughter fell ill and it's a healing dress, right? And to me, I just posted a video recently when the jingle dress dancers came in. And when you really listen to the jingle dress when they come in, it almost sounds like a rattle. Mm. And so he was given specific instructions for his granddaughter how to make that dress with the cones. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time as a young girl, when I first saw the dress, I was like, huh, why does it have all those cones on it for? And it's because of the sound. And for me, in my perspective, I feel like, it's, it's very close to the rattle. It is. And yeah. the rattles, they're healing. And I feel like he was given those specific instructions because that noise when you dance, that's what brings the healing. And that's why I do the dance. I remember reading about this story now actually online and he had a vision because he went to bed, right? And then yeah. it came to him in a dream. And our, our visions are very strong. And, you know, when you do dream and you do get a vision, it's a very real thing. <laughs> so that's what I was going to say next is like matriarch movement actually came to me in a dream. Mm. And so now I'm just starting to realize the significance of our dream world. Mm. Have you personally tapped into like your dream state at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. um, but, you know. It took me a long time to get where I am today. I just didn't wake up and all these amazing things have happened to me. It took a lot to find who I am because of that darkness we had to go through. 
it made me afraid of who I was. And when I had dreams, I couldn't interpret it, uh, interpret them the way I can now. Mm. And one significant dream I had, which was kind of like, huh, was that, you know, you need to go back to your ceremonies. And because I went through all this darkness and trauma, I never felt good enough to go back to my ceremonies. And I feel like so many indigenous young people feel that way too. Even, even our, our elders who are disconnected and are feeling really lost, I feel like a lot of them don't feel like they're good enough. But that's not true. And I just want them, you know, I want them to know that you have every right to be in your ceremonies. And to me, when um, I finally decided to go back to our Sundance, which is like a, one of the oldest and most toughest ceremonies in Turtle Island. <laughs> you know, you go four days without no food or water and you dance in a circle with the tree of life and pray to the sun all day. And to me, that is a, there's nothing more that can teach you humility than going without water that long and teach you a certain kind of kindness and humility to and have com compassion for others and so i never felt good enough for that ceremony for a very long time <laughs> <laughs> and so when i was told that in that vision like you have to go back or you're going to keep getting sick i'm like what does that mean you know so i woke up one day i'm like okay well, i guess i better go back then <laughs> no questions no doubting what that dream meant i just went to ceremony and threw myself in there and i said i you know i asked the elders please be uh compassionate towards me this is my first year and from that those four years of completing i just finished my fourth year this year and it's life-changing it brings you so much healing and spiritual grounding of who you are and people don't really tell you when we come here as spirits what we are really here for. And those four years really taught me how to be grounded spiritually within my dreams, within myself and finding out who I am. And I didn't realize I was always scared of who I was. And I feel like so many of our young indigenous people feel that way as well, because nobody's teaching them how to heal through the trauma and how to come up through the darkness and they don't feel good enough or you know they're not shown kindness and a lot of them are still looking for love from their parents that they'll never get and so i want them to know like it's just like this for many of our indigenous kids you know they're still looking for love from mom and dad and because of the indian residential school era it took away the love from a lot of our children and so as you go through this is now as you grow up i just want them to know that you have to cut ties with mom and dad, if you're not getting that love and, and to be able to follow your dreams, listen to them because it's very real. Like your dreams are very real. They give you messages and that's wisdom coming in from the other side because your ancestors are always with you. You're not alone. A lot of these things that has happened, they happen for a reason. You know, like one of my, my uncle says, a spirit moves you. You feel pull, right? You feel a pull. That's not by accident. That's happening for a reason, <laughs> right? And so that's when I went to ceremony and I'm like, ah, I'm going to leave my ego. I'm going to leave everything. I'm just going <laughs> to get in there and I'm just going to learn. And, you know, I want to encourage our young people and next generation to do that. If you feel called to it, go to it. Don't be afraid. So I was always afraid. From those four years and making that commitment to creator, you have to give up the drugs and alcohol. And nobody tells our young people, what does that mean to give up drugs and alcohol? Like for one, it will spiritually ground you. Well, what is spiritually grounding? That is you're 100% aware of your surroundings, what you say, what you think, what you feel. Um, for the longest time, I didn't have a connection to my gut feeling, my intuition. 
I had a lot of grief I needed to uh, get rid of. And so I walked around with so much grief and anxiety because of what I had to heal from. And so many of our people are, are kind of like that because nobody's teaching them how to heal themselves. And I want people to know we have our medicines, we have our ceremonies, we have those things, we have those tools. And those tools were given to us by Creator to keep us strong. When people say, keep your mind strong, well, how do you do that, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you could just say so much. Well, when you keep your mind strong, you're using these tools. You're using For us, we use a chinupa. It's a sacred pipe. It brings us balance within our masculine and feminine energy, right? Because whether a lot of people don't know this, but we have one side of our body, um, the liver side that represents the mo your mother, your woman's side, and your right side is your father. Even when you get out of bed, you roll out of bed on one side, they say that's like your warrior side. Well, today I don't want to feel like a warrior. You go out of this side of the bed, or today I want to be more into like my feminine side. So you roll out of that side of bed. Like we had those things. Like we knew those things, indigenous people, because indigenous people were always one step ahead with our medicines and those tools that I talked about. And so that is your connection to creator. It's almost like a Wi-Fi signal. Mm -hmm. And so why do you think it was taken away so violently? That was our direct connection to creator, our ceremonies, you know, our sweat lodges. Why do men go to sweat lodges? Why do women go to sweat lodges? It's because it's um, to clean off the emotional turmoil of being a human being. That's why they're there. And so I didn't have any understanding of this the way I do now and how I could help our people understand this without giving the specific instructions, right? Because you only could say so much out of respect mm -hmm. because what our ceremonies are, it's almost like going to the doctor mm -hmm. and you don't want to take pictures and videos of going to the doctor, do you? <laughs> so <laughs> no. that's, that's, that's why you have to respect the medicines, respect the ceremony. And, and that's why we, we don't take um, video camera and um, we, we acknowledge that, right? Mm -hmm. I know that was a long question about dreams, <laughs> but that is all tied into each other. It's like, remember that. That's like your strong Wi-Fi connection or your antenna to creator. Like um, me and my brother, we, we joke to each other when we have a hard time. We'll be like, oh, you know, just pick up the phone and use your pipe and call creator. Well, in, <laughs> in Dakota, we say Tunkashala. <laughs> and so, you know, that's, that's your connection that we're all coming back to, right? I think it's a beautiful thing. And I really think more people need to believe in it because... You know, like I said before, in um, a talk I did with youth, they took a lot of our medicine people and put them as, deemed them as insane. And so when they took them away, our communities became weak. And so now a lot of our medicine people are slowly coming out of the woodworks because of they instilled that fear that we're going to deem you insane. And they took them to insane asylums and um, ha they have massive unmarked gravings there, too. Mm -hmm. And they have, um, you know, they created that fear. They tortured them. They did multiple experiences in our, our medicine people and our spiritual people. And this is like the history that they don't teach us about. But I feel like we need to talk about it more because this is what um, what makes us a better a uh, more exclusive, just equality society when we learn the true history. Mm -hmm. We talk about our healing, we talk about our pain, and we talk about where we want to go forward. And there's so much beauty into that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like you had mentioned earlier, I think Indigenous people, we have the framework, we have the tools for our own healing. I think sometimes it is very challenging to stay rooted in who you are. And like you're saying, for me, sometimes when I was younger, and even now, I don't know if it's my intuition or if it's my gut feeling, if I'm being swayed or pulled in through social media, if I'm being mm. pulled in by 
if I want to stay sober, if I'm being pulled in by the responsibilities of, you know, an outside source. So I think like sometimes you're unsure if that's really your intuition or maybe it's someone else's or let's yeah. say also toxic relationships. I feel Ooh. like as <laughs> I got something to say about that. Right? <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, wh- where is my voice in all of the noise? But I think what brings you back to it is like you're saying, that connection to the ceremony, that connection to prayer, that connection to, uh, for me, it's yoga, that connection mm. to some modality that helps you release other people's things. That's what I was going to say about drugs and alcohol and why our ceremonies, um, when you, you have to let it go, because I was going to talk again about life. So when we come here to earth, we make an agreement with creator. We already know what are the challenges we're going to deal with and what kind of life we're going to have. And we make that commitment. And so when drugs and alcohol come into the picture, um, it stops us from that commitment of, uh, being spiritually grounded. It doesn't allow you to be spiritually grounded. And I know a lot of people who smoke weed are not going to like me saying this, but that is not a good uh, drug for our people. And it it has long-term side effects and we don't believe in it in indigenous uh, our ceremonies because why? Drugs and alcohol, it manipulates the healing process. It manipulates uh, the medicines you are using. And when you use the medicines and you, you, you bring alcohol and drugs in the picture, the medicines is a strong spirit in itself. And what I mean by medicines is like the sage, the tobacco, the cedar, the things we use for our healing modalities. Um, that medicine is a spirit in itself and it has strong healing remedies. And so when you mix drugs and alcohol into it, you're only like, you're only uh, slowing down your healing process, right? And it's manipulating it. And so when we come here down through earth, we come here to have spiritual development. And what is spiritual development? It, it's trying to help you reach the ultimate goal of happiness. And, um, you know, drugs and alcohol, it slows down that spiritual development. And it allows a lot of negativity into your life. You open doors to a lot of negativity. And I wish somebody told me this as a youth. I wish somebody helped me understand it. And what we've known as indigenous people is that from the ages of 12 to 19, our people are their most vulnerable. And so back then you would see them with these big bandolier bags, these medicine bags, because they were carrying medicine in them to protect them from you know, those, the negativities of um, the world. Right. And because we knew that they didn't like our young people, we would protect them with those medicines and keep them away from drugs and alcohol. Because once they open the door to drugs and alcohol, those young people have so much beautiful gifts that that's going to stop them from uh, accessing those gifts. And um, because it, it, regardless of how to say it, you know, it makes that other negative energy mad that we are such a beautiful people and we have these amazing gifts to share with the world. So that is what, why drugs and alcohol is, is important to not have in our ceremonies and why we give it up for our commitment to creator. It's about your spiritual development here on earth. And it's about you uh, reaching that ultimate goal of happiness when you um, leave here. 
Mm. And I think it's also (laughs) about having strong boundaries. Because for me, like, for example, I've been pretty much sober like this whole year. Mm. Um, But the people that I allowed in my life through not having boundaries that were committing harm against me, Mm. they were still stuck in those cycles of um, substance abuse. And so for me, because I'm an empath, I just want to like take care of everybody. But Mm -hmm. at some point you need to realize that these people having access to you is actually doing more harm than good. Mm. And so I think it's also having boundaries, but also recognizing like people are where they're at and maybe just like distancing yourself from that. Because I've also thought about how maybe these darker forces are trying to get to us through different relationships and through different people. And so those relationships are almost like a test in your life. If you're going to stay connected to your path or if you're going to go on to a path that's distorted or maybe not the best for you. And so that's what I'm learning right now. It's like, okay, how do I stay connected to my purpose and my path, but also treat people with respect, but keep them at a distance, you know? Well, there's a huge thing that we, I learned in growing up is like attracts alike. So what does that mean? It means that when you walk around with all this anger, grief and everything like that and darkness, you're only going to attract people like that. And so when you go through the healing process, you use the, the um, you know, the sacred medicines and the modalities that we had for thousands of years since time immemorial, and you do this process of healing, you're going to spiritually develop. You're going to, you're going to get at another level of healing where you do know your boundaries. Like I said, Mm -hmm. self-awareness, right? Mm -hmm. And so it all ties together. Whether we like it or not, we are like a human species. And to say that when we heal ourselves, right? And when it comes to relationships, you will change the entire scent of your body. And so a negative man or a negative woman could literally pick up that scent in you and you attracted each other. Mm -hmm. And so that's why when we're in bad relationships, well, like attracts the like, Mm -hmm. just like the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case, right? (laughs) 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 They, they attracted each other because they'd never done their healing. And so that, that's why it's so important when you heal yourself, you you don't go jumping into relationship right away until you're a hundred percent sure. And, um, when, when you go through that process, you'll eventually attract someone because the whole anatomy of your body changes, everything shifts and you will feel that and you become balanced. You become self-aware. You become, um, like I said, spiritually developed Mm -hmm. and you will know, you will know. (laughs) Yeah. I think it comes to being in right relationship to yourself. Yeah. You got to love yourself first. You I never love really, yourself. I, really I didn't understand what that meant for a long time. <laughs> and then they're like, uh, and then I finally get it. Yeah, yeah. I love that person, but I also love me more. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And for you, having gone through Sundance and now having gone through, I guess, like creating and cultivating a life that's built around self-awareness and self-love, what do you hope to start to see manifest for indigenous futures for our future Mm. as indigenous people i feel like to have a more equality and just society i feel like we need to see more representation in the education sector the media entertainment the 
economic sector and like entrepreneurship, right? And there's uh, the justice legal system, healthcare systems, the social services, uh, governments and leadership, environmental stewardship. I, I would love to see more representation in these areas. And I feel like this is so important because indigenous people for the last 500 years had so much to contribute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think you're slowly starting to see a shift now. Like I noticed that you've recently partnered with, who is it, the Rap Raptors? Is it the Raptors? Argos? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I'm new to Toronto. Oh no, Toronto Raptors. Yeah, no, Toronto they, Raptors. They, okay. they invited us for Indigenous Exclusion Night. Then uh, the Argos, they invited us to dance and perform for their Indigenous Night. And to me, these partnerships that I have, they're important because it shows the beauty and you know, the beauty of our culture. And it exposes it to people because there's so many kids in there. It's the first time they've ever saw indigenous people, especially dancing and performing. But for me, like when it comes to partnerships, it's it's your values that matter. Does it suit your values of who you are and how you want to tell the truth in the story, in your stories, right? And so I always stick to that, my morals and my values. But also, um, you know, we have to remember truth and reconciliation is not just indigenous. It's not just our job. It's it requires the hard work of non-Indigenous people. I guess, I think I already know kind of where you're going with this, but what would you advise non-Indigenous people do to support in terms of creating that kinship, creating that relationship with each other? Like what they can do to contribute like, to reconciliation? Yeah. Well, a lot of it has to do with education, teaching the true history. Again, like when we know our true history, it allows us to have better leadership it allows us to have good structure in our school systems for the longest time they weren't teaching our history in the educational curriculum like for me right I come from the Oshete Shakohen which was like a huge part of Canada and United States where did that history go we don't even know about it. They said 0.1% knows about it in USA, who the Oshete Shakoan is, which is this represents the seven council fires of the Dakota, Lakota, and the Nakotas, right? They don't even teach that in our school of who these beautiful, amazing, strong singers were. They just completely wiped us out, you know? And so that's what I mean. Like, we need to start bringing that history of who were the Cree, who were the Ojibwe, where did these people come from, who were they were before the fur trade, and how did these relationships come about they teach in uh grade 10 and 11 about the war then they teach more about the treaties why aren't we teaching the treaties before the world war one and two and so to me that's what we need to start bringing back in the education curriculum because there's so much beauty and knowledge we can learn from that and it, it like i said it requires the hard work of uh non-Indigenous Canadians mm -hmm. to learn that and to have that shift in narrative. For me, I would like to know, I would like to learn the history of the people of um, the people who were, who were here prior to colonization. Mm -hmm. I feel like that needs to be like taught in kindergarten all the way up. <laughs> yeah. And across like all of Canada, across Turtle Island, getting mm -hmm. to know like where, whose land you are on essentially and who mm. was there before you. You know, I think I went to go sp speak at this school with the great kids. I think it was grade three. And um, we were talking about Orange Shirt Day and I got a question from a young boy. He's like, you know, why did they hate indigenous kids so much? And that really stuck with me. <laughs> you know, I was like, this little kid even sees it. And then he's, I told him, it's because it's the people in power. It's the society, us, that we can work together to make 
the laws that need to get changed. And that's what happened. The laws changed because the society did not agree to what was happening to these indigenous kids and what's still happening to indigenous kids, right? Because you have to remember like 40% of those calls to action are legacies. They are still ongoing today. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I, I explained to him. It's the people in power. So when you run for government and leadership, you can be a better leader for us. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I would love to see more indigenous people within leadership as well. Yes. And it's also awesome. like dismantling our love for, I think, power and control. <laughs> mm. I think like the pe- what I'm recognizing is like the people in power want to stay in power. Mm-hmm. And we're advocating for more of our indigenous voices within those places of power. And so at some point there has to be like, I don't know, either like you get like land back, like you give back. I don't know. Well, you have to remember generosity is such an important thing when it comes to Indigenous people. Um, That's why we have giveaway ceremonies and everything like that, because we believe in that. In our culture, we have this word called unchimalaya. And that means um, when you help me, I'm asking creator to help you four times is great. Like if your tire blows out on the uh, side of the street and, you know, and I say unchi malayai. And that means like our language is so powerful. It means so many more things than just a couple of words. And and, and so it means that when you help me fix my tire, I asked creator to bless you four more, four times is great. And that's why we give away, right? We have mm. so much, we have, we. it's, it's important mm-hmm. to give back and, you know, and leaders and they want to hold all this power and everything, they, they probably just make themselves sick in the end. <laughs> well, that's really what it comes down to. You create like more resistance and then you actually do more harm to yourself than good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know speaking of like power, uh, you and your daughter are so powerful <laughs> when it comes to your dances and when it comes to how you speak and advocate for indigenous issues. How can people follow you and maybe also support you and your daughter uh, moving forward? Mm-hmm. Well, first, I just want to thank everyone for the love and the support. It doesn't go unnoticed at all. To me, before, we grew up with a lot of racism out west in, in Winnipeg, right? And um, we had to go through a lot of that. And I actually kept my Indigenous regalia off social media for so long until I realized that this is a beautiful culture that survived some of the darkest times in our history. Why am I hiding this? And if I can show our beauty of our culture and change the narrative, which which is Indigenous futurism is, is that we have these gifts that we could change that narrative of the violence that we survived of the colonial violence and everything like that. And so to me, that is so important. What, what we do in our work Mm-hmm. I don't really see it as power. I see it as, um, you know, expressing our creativity. And I really take that responsibility uh, serious from creator that they gave us gifts and we have to be able to use them and share them with the world because we're only here for a short time. You know, what are you going to do with your life? Well, I want to have spiritual development. I want to help the world and I want to give back as much as possible. And I think you're doing just that. I mean, I've learned so much um, within this short amount of time from you. I feel like we can continue going on and on. And I think I think you should write a book, honestly. <laughs> I, think. Oh, I already got the title. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Santi, for joining yeah. us on the show today. Where can people follow and support everything that you're up to? 
You can follow me at Santi Sue with the double X, S-A-N-T-E-E-S-I-O-U-X-X. Uh, I just like the way the double X looks. It's so aesthetic looking. <laughs> <laughs> I only said that so you remember. <laughs> but yes, you can, I'm on all social media platforms. And uh, again, thank you for having me on the show. And thank you for listening to me. Yeah. <laughs> hi, hi. Thank you, hi hi, for listening to the show. If you like the podcast, check your podcast app now to make sure you're subscribed. I'm Shayla Olette Stonechild. You can find me along with more info on matriarch movement on Instagram at Shayla0h. And my podcast producer is Katie Lore, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye.